This is episode 24 of the Home and Family Culture Podcast. I'm Jody Chafee, and in this episode, I interviewed Max Weichert from Austria. Welcome to the Home and Family Culture Podcast, where I discuss how families can discover and design their collective vision, values, beliefs, and traditions that influence their family culture. The purpose of my podcast is to interview experts who can offer tips and tools to aid families in the process of developing their family culture, and also successful individuals whose success was influenced by their family culture. For more information or to subscribe, go to homeandfamilyculture.com, or you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Family Culture Podcast, and on Twitter at underscore Family Culture. You can tune in on my site or on the variety of podcast broadcasting apps like iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and even on YouTube. Just search Home and Family Culture with the ampersand between Home and Family Culture. Please remember to like, comment, share, and rate on whatever medium you choose. I would love to hear from you. Max Weichert. Born in 1984 in Flensburg, North Germany, the life after finishing high school led him from working in a sheltered workshop farm for people with disabilities over to 10 months work and travel in New Zealand. After that, he studied environmental engineering in Bremen, Germany, and Sweden, followed by studies in biometrics in Austria. Changing course after that, he worked three years in innovative management, crowdsourcing, and crowdfunding in Austria, during which time he also began to teach innovative management at the university to international master students of electrical engineering. Personal development, inner work, and consciousness, as well as martial arts, were always part of his main interest and natural longing. In, In 2016, followed passions a bit further by co-teaching Wing Chun Kung Fu and movement to kids between 3 and 12 years. And after quitting the work of innovative management, he followed his passion into the realm of systemic coaching and took part in a one-year systemic coaching program, which was like a big opening for him. Currently assists in a Montessori school in Austria once a week after a one-year break in Kung Fu training took up again the kids' training and his own and started to build his own business with systemic coaching and helping parents develop a better family culture by helping them build and build a nourishing environment to grow in for their kids in which they can develop social and emotional skills to be successful in, lo- in life aligned with their own strengths, passions, and their heart wide open for connections to the wonders of the world around them. His aim is to do his best to foster the ability of people to connect with each other and and especially to support parents and their children with his best effort to build strong, loving, and trustful relationships. Welcome, Max. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out to to come and uh, be on my podcast and talk more about, about this. Uh, so that that's an interesting background that you that you had moving around the the globe basically, and uh, let's see. That's interesting. How how did going from kung fu teaching kung fu? How did that lead you to a Montessori? Were those um, related at all? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't related. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, nah, well, 
I, I, I'm, I've been in, in Austria for nah, seven years now. Mm-hmm. And, well, while I was in Graz, I, I started um, yeah, practicing Wing Chun and I got the opportunity to teach kids together with a friend of mine. And then I, then I moved to Zell am See, which is in the west of Austria, close to Salzburg. <clears throat> and while there, it was too far for me to, you know, to teach them, so I had this break. And when I came back, I, I moved to another city, and a friend of mine, she lives here. Well, it's more, a small town, actually. And her son is in a Montessori school. And uh, since during that time, I was starting uh, my own business, and I found this focus on kids and social and emotional development. And she actually offered me that I could just kind of intern in that school. And mm-hmm. now I'm uh, once a week, I, I just spend the, uh, the early morning with them and yeah, just do some, some I don't know, games and uh, help them with learning and just be with them um, once a week. And yeah, do the Wing Chun on the side. So it's not really related, but it was just an opportunity that showed up. Yeah. Okay. And so, how did you how did you translate your experience there with uh, Montessori? Were you able to observe like the culture in the school and start to, you know, relate that to the way that families can enhance and work on their family culture? Oh yes. What, what is interesting for me in a Montessori school compared to the normal, uh, well, the standard school, I would say. Um, is this kind of experience that kids have in the Montessori school, as far as I can observe it. Um, let's start with the standard school. So basically kids go there, there's a fixed plan of what they should do. They have certain times where they should sit down and there's somebody, at least the way I went, uh, how it was for me when I went, uh-huh. when I went school, is you basically sit there, you have to listen, you have to do the stuff that people tell you to do, if you're interested or not, and kind of... Um, uh, you're, you have, you are stuck with it. Yeah, thing. you're stuck there. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, and the difference um, with the Montessori school is they also have uh, things they should learn, like uh, yeah, reading and, and writing and um, mathematics or uh, calculations. But also there's a lot of other, uh, other opportunities for them to experience themselves and mm-hmm. also experience relationships and connecting with with other kids for example and also the teachers yeah um so, so well it, it starts with for example they have a certain amount of uh, tasks they should do in terms of learning but there's a big space and time also for free stuff so they just choose what they want mm-hmm. to do so what i observe is that they they are much more deliberate and much more um self-conscious when it comes to uh yeah knowing what they want uh-huh. knowing what they want to do um uh, and i got told by, by one of the teachers in that school that sometimes they have uh, students or t- children from the normal standard schools um, in the montessori school and they really they they are lost somehow because there's nobody <laughs> telling them what to do right. <laughs> they don't know what they want to interest them it's a, it's, it's kind of uh, shocking actually uh-huh so uh, this is one thing that I observe. The second is that normally in the standard schools, um, the children, they're more or less the same age when they're in one class. And in the Montessori school, it's all mixed. Yeah. And this leads to a much, much bigger diversity when it comes to developmental stages in the kids and also mm-hmm. the way of interaction that happens between the kids. Mm-hmm. So the, the bigger ones, they really take care of the smaller ones. They help them. And also the general way, even between the younger ones, is 
I have the impression much more mature than in the standard schools. And I think it's also, uh, it's all because of this, well, don't have the separation in terms of age or Mm -hmm. maybe even in terms of gender, because of course it's this mixed boys and girls. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the third thing that is also different there is I think the relationship to the teachers. So when I think back to my school time, um, being with a teacher, it was always a kind of uh, authoritative person. Mm-hmm. So you should, I mean, you maybe you, you say, well, in Germany, in English, you don't have that anyway. <laughs> but in Germany, we have this um, separation in a very polite uh, form of speaking to, to older people or yeah. adults, for example. And the, the normal you form, where you how you talk to friends, for example. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe the very young kids, they say this uh, this friendly form. But normally, it's more the formal form where you have this certain distance between uh, teacher and student, yeah. teacher and child. And in the Montessori school, um, they're totally different, I have the impression. It's normal that you talk like to a friend, although this friend has more experience, but yeah. they're that to help you and learn and basically just facilitate the process of learning something. And of course, also tell you if you should do something different, then they have this yeah kind of a parent role, really, mm-hmm. or caregiver role, I would say. Um, but what I observed there is, for example, that the kids have so much trust in this in the teachers. They just I don't know, just climb on them sometimes. <laughs> really, like uh, they they jump on their backs or they they hug them, which is so different from normal schools. I think. Yeah. Probably in Germany, you would have to um, have to think about sexual harassment or abuse in, in certain mm-hmm. forms if you're not careful when it comes to having a closer contact with your students. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow, yeah, the culture is different there. So. I mean, this is my opinion. I'm not sure if this really would be that bad, but um. no, that's uh, I, everything that you you just talked about. Yeah, that's that's totally true in American schools as well, where you know it's um, in some vernacular we call it uh, the conveyor belt. You know, where kids go to school at a certain time at a certain age, and they stay with kids at their age level, and they learn to listen to authority, and and actually they're not really taught how to learn <laughs> because yeah. they're just taught how to listen to the authority figure and be told the answers. And, uh, but that sounds really amazing and interesting that in Montessori and in other, there are other environments where that that's the case as well. But, yeah. um, but from your experience that that's so interesting that you can see that it, it really is actually uh, more beneficial to the children because they're able to uh, have their freedom to choose and to have better reasoning skills and uh, and then better social skills, being able to interact with kids of different ages. And I think that that's really interesting that, um, that, that there's more trust with a teacher that they don't see as their quote unquote authority figure, yeah. but as somebody that they see it more as a caregiver. And then therefore they, they'll be more willing to learn from them and be guided by them. Yeah. So that's kind of ironic <laughs> in that oh. sense, yeah. you know, <laughs> that it's actually uh, counter uh, um, counterproductive to have teachers who just stand over us and, and say, listen to what I say yeah. and not, you know, and then the kids actually, it's, uh, it, it do the opposite. They actually want to rebel and, uh, you know, not, not take what they say. Yeah. So that's interesting. So how does that type of a culture, um, how does that translate into family culture and what what is your interest in family culture well family culture for me i, I start with the second question um yeah 
well, my interest in family culture, uh, well, if I just start with my own family story, so to speak, okay. when, I, when I grew up, I, um, I mean, I, I really love my parents, no matter of that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, what I, when I think back, uh, like one of the, the main, um, the main memories or experiences that I take from my childhood when it comes to, especially my father was that of a person who was, well, shouting a lot, maybe being in a certain way uh, quite choleric <laughs> and not being able to uh, express his own emotions in a constructive way and not allowing anyone to be different in a sense that when he wants something, it has to happen like that. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah, when I think back, it's, it was always a, bit part of, a big part of fear also. And um, I mean, there might have been, uh, there will have been also good times, of course. I, I wouldn't say that I was raised brutal or anything. I, I just remember, remember one time when I was spanked or so, but this is really, it was, mm-hmm. uh, um, it was uh, n- not the norm, I would say. But still, um, on an emotional level, uh, it was with him not a very, in my memory, not a very happy time most of yeah. the time. Um, <laughs> So when it comes to family culture, uh, my interest is that, well, what I observe is that uh, because children, they, they obviously don't understand the things that happen around them the same mm. way adults do. Yeah. Because, of course, because of the brain development, because there are different developmental stages, um, especially when it comes to reasoning or rational thinking or reflecting things uh, before the first seven years and even then mm. just starting uh they are on a totally different page. Yeah. So whatever happens to them has a has, has a big effect on in terms of imprinting or conditioning mm-hmm. or and also developing behavior patterns. Uh, where of course there's a lot of um, trust at play. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, when when parents cannot provide this basic trust, you will have to deal with that for a long time in your own life. Yeah. Um, just recently, I mean, I, I started a business accelerator program, and it was about going out there and showing yourself and basically make yourself vulnerable to the feedback of other people. Uh-huh. Um, I, I realized that what I trace back to also my, my, my upbringing in my childhood is that uh, I am very much depending, I, I make myself dependent on other people's opinion about myself. I'm, I'm working on changing that, but still it's, um, it goes back a long time, I would say. Um, so family culture, I think for me, the big interest is that, that as a parent, you have a strong influence on your child. If you know yeah. about it consciously or not, because every time you are with your child and you don't even, it's not about talking, but mm-hmm. just being and being a role model influences your child very subtly and also uh, on a very, very, very well watchable level. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, I think it's just a very important role um, that you have as a parent and, um, Therefore, the culture is so important, the way how you how you go about with each other, how you yeah. present yourself as an adult, and also what kind of rules and limits, let's say, or what kind of sets of beliefs you uh, give mm-hmm. your children. Yeah, and it's all based on the precedent that you that you set and the the way the style that you parent. I mean, it sounds like your dad was a bit of an author, authoritative, and and that does have an impact on on what you believe about the world or, you know, things like that. Cause that's, you know, that's what they say is however a child is treated when they're young, that's what they believe about the world. And 
that's their perception of, of their identity and who they are and where they fit in to the world. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big responsibility as parents, right. (laughs) To, to be aware of what message we're sending to our kids and, um, yeah, like you say, to, to know that even, even just being in their presence, we're sending the message to them mm-hmm. about what, what is important to us and uh, how, we, how we value them yeah. and, and who they are. And, and so your first question, like um, how I see it in this Montessori school, mm-hmm. well, I, personally, I think, uh, well, this is not my opinion. I mean, this is also <laughs> like a scientific fact that in the yeah. family, you have like the very first uh, big influence when it comes to, yeah, as you said, shaping your identity, shaping your belief sets, shaping your values, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that the next biggest step is the school, of course. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there are very many uh, children or even students and adults out there that have been shaped by school a lot. Yeah. Um, when it, Especially when it comes to in this age of you start to develop your reasoning and your rational skills, et cetera. And then you're not really allowed to use it the way that you think it's good or that would actually uh, play out your strength. But you mm-hmm. just have to adapt to a certain environment that forces you to do something. Um, and I think um, having something like a Montessori school, it's not so much about Montessori, actually. It's really more about the culture and the possibilities that arise for children in there. Because what I observe and what, what is valuable there is that children have this open space where they can uh, basically develop and uh, realize themselves or discover themselves mm-hmm. in connection with others. So at, at, on the one side, having the uniqueness, and on the other side, feeling this connectedness and being guided somehow by people mm-hmm. that can show them a way or basically giving them possibilities to, uh, to have challenges or discover something more that they don't know about yet. So it's, it's this guided openness, so to speak, that has a very creative aspect. In it. And yeah, I think this ties also into family culture, because I think when, when you're a parent, uh, being the one that is too authoritative uh, is also not the right way, as I find for myself looking back at my own history. Mm-hmm. So yeah, having something where you're, where you're guided or, you know, some people say that coaching your child, I'm, I'm not sure how well that works all the time, but giving limits or setting limits on the one side, but also allowing for personality that is already there that just needs to be discovered by the child and the practice basically uh, mm-hmm. this is an important uh, aspect of it, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that I would call that like mentoring. Yeah. Like when you're able to help draw out the strengths of the child and then guide them towards activities that might inspire them to, to draw those things out. Yeah. I just read, I just finished this book. It doesn't have a lot. I mean, it's not exactly related to family culture. It's more of a business book, but it was called the um, power of starting something stupid mm-hmm. by Richie Norton. Okay. And uh, it was a really interesting book because he emphasizes in a portion of the book about the importance of being authentic yeah. and, and that we, we, we discover our authenticity by just listening to what what we feel inspired by listening to the thoughts that that um interest us and then you know trusting ourselves or uh, have you know trusting in our own our integrity and the values that we have and and sticking to them and then also like trying things before 
we feel ready or, you know, just different things. But he emphasized this idea about authenticity. And, and I think, you know, a lot of what you're talking about is, is what is enabling kids to be able to explore their own authenticity. Because I feel like, you know, like you say, we go to the public schools and, and, and the, the voice inside of us is like stifled or that, that ability to think for ourselves and things like that, that's really stifled. But when we allow to the kids to have the freedom to listen to themselves or explore different things and, and be able to have that freedom, but still being guided and set boundaries and things like that, then they're able to allow themselves to have and explore their own authenticity because the more you can grow in authenticity, the more you're likely to reach success in this, in the sense of success being that you feel a sense of fulfillment and autonomy and not so much doing some, you know, living for somebody else, you know? That's true. Yeah. The the picture I have in mind, I mean, I I come from, or from, from the point of studies that I did, it's more the scientific or engineering direction. I remember one time in my, in my environmental studies, it was about, about waste treatment, the biological waste treatment. When it comes to using microorganisms to treat organic waste, the teacher we had at that time, he said, um, nature is ingenious. You don't know, you don't need to do much, actually. You don't have to, I don't know, you don't have to think about complex things all the time. What you really have to do is just to, to establish the right environments and then the right bacteria will just start to live there and grow and will do the processes that you want. And I think um, it's, it's a bit similar or analogous to, to what happens with the kids or with humans in general when they are in the right cultural environment to grow up in. So mm-hmm. it's not so much forcing them to do something or like pulling the grass so it grows faster. It's really like uh, establishing the right conditions so what is already there can then grow more and uh, can solidify itself. I really like this picture because, um, yeah, what, what actually biomimetics, the, the master studies I did, is basically teaching is you have uh, certain structures or certain mechanisms you see in nature, and you can abstract that. And this abstracted principle, you can transfer it to different other solutions, for example, and techniques <clears throat> like engineering problems. And also, I think if you have some fantasy or some imagination, you can also use it to... Um, maybe make human relationships better because the principles you find in nature are the same that also are valid for us also. So I think. Yeah, I really like that picture as well. That's very interesting concept, that idea, just, just creating a good environment that allows that kind of development. That's, that's really awesome. So what is it that um, you do? What is the, the sources that you're providing that um, are helping parents to to consider these environments and ways that they can cultivate their family culture. From from a business point of view, I, I rather started uh, uh, with a with a course that I created. Okay. I called it the self esteem lunchbox. I was um, I was looking for uh, well, I, I tried to to incorporate this idea of having an environment uh, with giving kids the possibility to grow up. And I was talking to some some friends uh, who are parents. At this point, I have to say, I'm not a parent yet. Um, so actually, I, I really don't like to be put in this parenting uh, corner because it's not so much for me about parenting tips or something. There are much more capable people out there, I think, than I am <laughs> to talk about that. For me, it's more about the, 
personal development aspect, if you want, mm -hmm. and uh, the consciousness aspect of it. So I was I was looking for a way, uh, of, yeah, for for a yeah tool sets um, that or a set of ideas that can help parents to establish this environment in in a form of culture for their kids to grow up into. And so at this point, it's it's a video course uh, with a Facebook group in that sense, so people can connect. And I have different modules in there um, where I present different ideas. For example, yeah, love and attachment. So going into attachment theory, why is in, in also in, re in relation to uh, the developmental stages of a child's brain, why is it so important to have a loving attachment to a caregiver? It needn't necessarily, of course, be the parent, but it should be someone who the child spends a lot of time with. Mm -hmm. And uh, in, the, in the optimal case, of course, it's the parent. And also, the uh, next thing is uh, talking about role models. So how we lead by example, or that we, just making this clear, that we lead by example. I think uh, I was talking to um, uh, to, an, to an attorney who works in, in family law, mm -hmm. and she, she has a lot to do with parents who are in divorce, who have children, and the way they treat their children, or the, basically the way they deal with their divorce, is totally unreflected what she said. So there's a, a lot going on where parents basically just project all the emotional, um, uh, well, I'm a bit provocant here maybe, but disabilities onto their children, mm -hmm. but not really thinking about how this affects their children. And so, this for me is a good example or a bad example of what it means to be a role model. Uh -huh. And of course, um, if you want your children to be something or develop in a certain way, you cannot just demand it from them just talking about it or um, yeah, expecting them to become a certain way, you have to show them how because children just look up to you as a, as a parent. And yeah, they don't just learn from what you say, they learn from what they see. And this yeah. is more often the nonverbal part, I think. <laughs> and then the next part, which is more the core also of, uh, of the relation that I have with the coaching thing, uh, where I did this systemic coaching education, um, is in the next module in there, which is generational patterns. So um, I think the way we behave, as it makes sense from growing up, and you you basically you suck up like like a sponge everything that you see around you, and you form your own belief sets. sets is something that once we attain that as a child, will also form the way we behave as a parent or as an adult later. Yeah. So the question is, do you want to hand on the same old stuff that you got from your parents to your own kids, or can you maybe change? And I think the important point here is that you can change, but you have to work on yourself. And oh, yeah. especially this uh, becoming um, more self-aware or more self-conscious about what you're doing and what is happening mm -hmm. in you and with you and in relation to your environment and the connections to other people you have. Um, it's, uh, it's not always easy to do that, mm -hmm. but it's, it's important, I think. Yeah, so basically there are six modules in total in this course that I do uh, that give certain ideas and, yeah. Uh, possibilities to reflect and also possibilities to um, to do something differently in your everyday life that uh, the opportunity to yeah experience an environment where they can uh, just by themselves emerge and have this self-esteem at some point in their life because the environment is the right one well it's about creating that environment so that the children do flourish and in turn the parents flourish yeah. Because we kind of have to learn how to disrupt our own habits 
because nobody's perfect and it's a good thing to <laughs> to start to analyze and and see where we can improve and that's that's usually a good thing not easy yeah. but <laughs> yeah it's not easy and often the ego comes in between of course and mm. um i mean we're not talking about perfectionism here it's not about being perfect but no. i think well when it comes to coaching or in this sense it's 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 got uh, got a lot of relations to psychotherapy um, one thing uh, some studies found out is that the, the biggest part of success that comes from a therapy is not the methods you use. So uh, relating or translating that into families is not the way how you exactly speak or what exactly you uh, you give your child as an exercise or I don't know what. Uh, it's it's really the, the relationship you're, you're able to build mm. with the person. And 70% of the success of a therapy comes from that. And I think you can directly relate that to any human relationship so um, maybe when you think back the the best friends you have are probably not the ones who have the best advice all the time or the people who are smartest or something or who drive the car the best so i don't know what but it's the people that somehow make it have a way to connect with you mm. on a level where you feel you can develop a certain kind of trust and also where you feel respected as a human being i just remembered that um in, in Germany, there's, uh, there's a, quite a famous, uh, by now, a brain scientist or brain researcher. His name is uh, Gerald Hüther. Mm-hmm. And he's talking a lot about this, um, uh, well, potential development in communities or in societies. Mm-hmm. And he says one of the biggest issues that we have nowadays is that due to our way of thinking, we behave or we, we treat the, any other person like an object. We make them like an object to our own judgments, like to our own ideas mm-hmm. or expectations. But what we lack is the the, the the ability to see other people as a subject, actually, as a mm-hmm. as a as an as an individual that has their own dreams, their own ideas, and uh, just encountering each other on an eye level. And the term he uses for this process or for this for this connection type, where you see the other one and respect them as a subject. And he calls that dignity. <laughs> so basically, yeah. encountering each other with dignity, I think, I think is one big part that enables this connection and the relationship, also in families, yeah. uh, in a way that that actually makes up for for the biggest part of a very uh, self confident child. So, Absolutely. And when you were talking about that, it reminded me of the. There's a book called um, The Anatomy of Peace, and yeah. that book talks all about that concept of treating people like people instead of objects and rather than um justifying our our behavior towards them as objects we just treat them like people (laughs) and and so that's a really important concept and i really i really enjoyed that that book in that in terms of you know what our justifications are for when we don't treat people like people and to learn how to uh, change that perspective and those those re- that reasoning behind the excuses and the justification for what why we do those things. So yeah. that yeah, that's really interesting. It sounds oh. really sounds really interesting. I think that the the the, the 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 cracking point for that is that apart from just treating people uh, as people, is also that we often have a problem with this. I think because maybe on the one hand we kind of expect that people think the same way we do, mm. and then we realize in the encounter that people 
have their own mind and they have their own way of being, their own set of beliefs, their own, um, maybe they're just situated their own ways of wanting to do things like a child. And mm -hmm. often it's not easy to just accept that people are different from us. And mm -hmm. I think the very, yeah, maybe also the challenge, be it in, in a workplace, be it in a family or be it in school or just in a partnership somehow, um, is to realize that we are unique on the one side and on the other hand, we can still be connected at the same time. Yeah. So having this kind of living paradox. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. But I, I think too, it's a scarcity mentality that thinking, oh, there's not enough room for our differing opinions or there's not enough room for them to have value and me to have value. And yeah. so, you know, it, it's this limiting perspective of thinking there's not enough love or value to fill all of us. But that's not true. There's, that's a scarcity perspective to think that there's not enough room for them and Maybe. me. <laughs> yeah, you know? definitely. And yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. We have to think from an abundant perspective that everybody has value and something to offer. And we all have that sense of dignity that we come from in our own perspectives. But I think the interesting aspect here is also where does this come from? I mean, where do you develop this kind of scarcity mentality? Mm -hmm. And I think this also starts in the families again. Yeah. If you, if you, just by the way you treat your child, give them the idea that they are accepted and loved for who they are and what they do. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you, you don't, you cannot actually develop a scarcity mentality because you in yourself know that you have a self-worth. Mm -hmm. And nobody else from the outside needs to give you that self-worth. Mm -hmm. And this is something, uh, this, is, this is one of the biggest responsibilities of, of any caregiver, I think, mm -hmm. to, to yeah, see the child uh, with the respect and with the value they have and actually re reflect that to them, tell them uh, how mm -hmm. much we love them or yeah, just um, non-verbally by, um, uh, by, yeah, How do you say that? Um, uh, by by allowing them to actually show their, their unique way to the world yeah. and asking mm -hmm. them to do it their way as well and have their experiences. So tell us what your the link to your website, how we can find you, Max. Maxweichert.com. I, I will also send you the link, so it's okay. <laughs> probably easier. Um, yeah, so on that, on that website, uh, you, you find the course on the one mm -hmm. side. And uh, apart from just this course, of course, since I'm uh, doing systemic coaching, which is more one-on-one -on -one work, I, I also offer that for people who are interested, which is more the rather adult people, not so much children in that sense, mm -hmm. where it comes to working, uh, finding clarity in yourself, basically, and trying to understand with, through different perspectives from the outside, through questions, etc., How, how you function and what's going on in yourself, realizing patterns, etc. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, but from apart from the website, I can also be found on Facebook under my name or on Instagram or YouTube or um, or Twitter. Awesome, awesome. And uh, in parting, what is a book that you could recommend also to read that would would help us with your um, your ideas about family culture? Um, I, I was thinking about this a bit since you were asking me before uh -huh. and I was first thinking, well, should I, <laughs> should, should I find something that actually talks directly about family culture or not? <laughs> But then I, I decided against that actually. Yeah. And I, um, I, I decided to, to name a book that is, uh, really, well, in my sense, a really good one, in my opinion, mm -hmm. it's from Gretchen, sorry, Gretchen Rubin, 
Gretchen, how do you say that in English? Gretchen New Rubin, okay. <laughs> the, the Happiness Project. Okay. Um, uh-huh. I think she's a really astonishing woman, and she was doing um, a project by herself because uh, she had a very well-paid job, as far as I remember. And so she was pretty um, unsatisfied, dissatisfied uh, the way she led her life. Mm-hmm. And she was at one point sitting in a bus, uh, watching another woman outside the bus uh, with a child buggy and pushing it through the rain. <laughs> and she thought, wow, this is me, actually. And from that point on, she decided to uh, do something different with her life. And she divided uh, the year in like yeah, 12 12 uh, mini projects where she devoted uh, one month to explore a certain topic. And she was deciding or she was choosing the topic um, based on her interests, what she ever wanted to do, what she ever wanted to. And I think this is interesting for families in the sense that if parents did more of that and were more happy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. would also, in the first place, they would be more happy parents or more happy people in general. And by being more happy themselves and also doing the things that are dear to their heart, I think, um, they are a perfect example for the children how these things are done. Because once you start doing the things that are important to you, you you just radiate a totally different energy. And this uh, shapes this family culture you live in because basically a culture or family culture is not something that is given from the outside. It's something that is created by each individual taking part in that culture and it can be changed by everyone in that culture. So yeah. changing yourself changes the culture you create with others. And yeah, so I think uh, The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin is a really good book to read. <laughs> and um, yeah. Thank you. I, that's perfect. I think that that's really, that's a really great perspective. I think you're, you're spot on that it does everything, everybody within the family is what shapes the culture and the, the feeling that's in the home. And when you're happy, your kids are happy. That's, that's, that's probably a study that somebody has proven that that's true. <laughs> so definitely, I'll definitely look into that book. That's awesome. Cool. Thank you so much, Max. I really enjoyed this and I will definitely put your link, your links into my show notes and uh, make, and I'll direct my listeners to your, your courses. That sounds really awesome. Thank you. Next. Awesome. Please go to homeandfamilyculture.com so that you can get the show notes to this episode and get links to Max's website and access his courses. Like he said, there are six modules of evaluating ways that we can create optimal environment for our children to thrive and our family culture to thrive. Whether you have children or not, it's really about creating those environments where we can all thrive and we can value and honor one another and dignify each other. So I really love that. Be sure to go there, check out the show notes to learn about the scientist that talked about treating each other with dignity because I have a link there so you can see the books that he that he has authored that talk about the compassionate brain and things like that. So Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support. Please share. Please like. Make sure you share a link to the show notes or a link to iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or YouTube so that others can access my podcast and and share in the value that that we can spread. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.